0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the ABBA Podcast with John McDonald. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. John would love to hear from you. You can send comments and questions on Twitter at ABBA Podcast. You can also keep in touch through the Facebook page, the ABBA Podcast with John McDonald. Podcast episodes can be downloaded from Podbean, ABBA and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and many of the usual platforms. If the Abba podcast isn't on your favourite platform, let us know and we'll get it sorted. Here's your host, John McDonald. We're going to talk about God as our real father now. And recently, you know, in the last podcast, we heard from Trevor Galpin about sonship, what it is, what it means, how it's not adoption. And Trevor mentioned that the ceremony he described... Was primarily for biological children. He he said that adoption was not the norm. It only occurred when a man had no heir. And I've said it before, but the idea of being adopted by God often left me feeling that I didn't really belong with him. But like I was only there as a favour and it could be taken away from me at any time if I misbehaved. And I think the Christianity I've learned over the years encouraged that kind of thinking. There was always the danger of being sent back to the orphanage because, well, I don't really belong to him. He paid for me, but I didn't belong like a true son does. I I wonder if that's what Moses must have felt. You know, we read in Acts chapter 7, verse 20 and 21. Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. And I I wonder if it's the reason Moses flees when he kills the Egyptian is that even though he was raised by the Egyptians he did not feel as though he truly belonged to them. I think that's what it can sometimes feel like when we hear about being adopted by God. And As I've been growing in this experience and and understanding Father's love for me, I'm seeing scripture with new eyes. You know, previously there were scriptures that I I read and I intellectually assented to them. But I didn't didn't make them personal. I didn't appropriate them for my spiritual life. As I've been growing in love, I'm seeing a different perspective. Let me read you a few Bible verses. The first one is from Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. In Psalm 139 verses 13 through to verse 16 we read that You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 through verse 6, he chose us in him that's God chose us in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he planned for us to be adopted as his sons or placed as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And these few verses point to us being something more than just strangers. We're more than lost people whom God... Took pity on and adopted. You know, these verses say to us that there's an inheritance prepared for you and me before the foundation of this world. We read that God created your inmost being. He was involved in your becoming human, in your soul, and your spirit and your heart. Father formed you fearfully and wonderfully, the Psalmist tells us. He knitted you together in your mother's womb, and he chose you before creation began. And he breathed his own breath into Adam. That is what made him a a living soul. And the same breath that he breathed into Adam is in me and in you. Our beings contain something of God's DNA. I want to look at a speech that confirms uh, the idea we originally belonged to God before we were lost. But before I do that, I want to speak a little bit more about these verses. They speak to an existing relationship before we even knew who God was. He was involved in our creation. He knew us intimately. He knows every part of you and every part of me. He, in effect, sired us. (laughs) Though we had a physical father or or there was sperm connected with an egg, God was involved in that. And you're the result of God's involvement in that. And so there is a pre-existing relationship between you and God that. You may not even have been aware of as you lived your life before Christ. We were being redeemed. God was returning us back to where we belong, back to where we became separated from as his true biological children. He was not adopting strangers and servants when he brought us into the kingdom. But listen to what Paul tells the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17 verse 22 through to verse 29, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. And what Paul's doing here is he's taking the Athenian belief regarding their origins and pulling it apart. There was an orator called Isocrates, not the philosopher Socrates, an orator called Isocrates. And this is what he said about the Athenian origins. We did not become dwellers in this land by driving others out of it. Nor by finding it uninhabited, nor by coming together here, a motley horde composed of many races. But we are of a lineage so noble and so pure that throughout our history we have continued in possession of the very land which gave us birth, since we are sprung from its very soil. This was the Athenian belief about their origins. They are very proud of their uniqueness, arrogantly thought of themselves as superior even to other Greeks, because they were not like other peoples, they were not settlers rampagers or usurpers, they were birthed from the soil. And so Paul's speech is addressing that belief and he's revealing to them where they really came from. He gives them a new view of things, a new perspective that turns everything they thought they knew on its head. That's what I've been discovering in this revelation of the Father. God comes as a Father to pour his love into my heart and love causes within me a change of perspective and turning everything I thought I knew about him and everything else on its head. My theology, my doctrinal understanding, concept of church and Christian living, along with so many other things, things I learned in church, things I learned in Bible college, it's all changed. It's all been torn down as Father is building a true image of himself in me. You know, I used to have my understanding of the gospel all tied up neatly. I knew how it was. I knew how it was supposed to be. Like these Athenians, I had been living under the impression that there is them and there is us. Churchianity had created in me an unconscious sense of of superiority, like I'm not like the rest of the human race because I'm in Christ and they aren't. That's not not how Paul saw things. He didn't see it that way and, and he didn't approach the Athenians with that mindset. It's very interesting he doesn't quote or speak scripture to them. The Jewish scriptures would have no meaning for these secular Greeks. They would not see it as having any authority. So he chose not to mention those And he took another route. In fact, he begins by complimenting on their religious devotion. I wonder if there's things for us to learn in our modern evangelism, our modern outreaches from Paul's approach. No, he uses scripture when speaking to believers and to Jewish people, but not when he's speaking to Gentiles. And we live in an age where the Bible means nothing to people. It has no authority for them, it has no meaning for them. And when we quote it to them, it leaves them clueless or it draws aggressive responses. And perhaps Paul has something to teach us as we seek to make Christ relevant in modern society. For instance, in this passage in Acts, Paul quotes two Greek poets and he instantly connects to the listeners through their own culture rather than his scriptural background. What does that look like for us today? How do we connect to people through their culture rather than through our churchiness, through Bible quotes, which have no relevance and no point of reference to most of the world. And what Paul does is, rather than creating a them and us situation, he includes them and himself as a part of the whole of humanity. No separation between them. You know, when he says, in him we live and move and have our being, he's saying all of us. And he's actually quoting a poet from Crete called Epimenides, who lived around 600 years before Jesus. And it's very clever because Epimenides was probably the originator of the unknown god statue that Paul saw in Athens. He's also the poet that Paul quotes in Titus when he calls Cretans liars and gluttons. Epimenides, the legend says, is thought to be the original Rip Van Winkle. The myth is that he slept for 57 years in a cave, and when he woke up he had the ability to prophesy and commune with the gods. Now during his lifetime, Athens suffered a a horrible plague which they could not get rid of. They sacrificed to numerous gods, and nothing worked. The plague kept on rampaging through them, and so they sent to Crete uh, for this wise man prophet Epimenides, um, and he he sailed up to Athens to to help them. And he determined that there must be an unknown god, whom they'd not recognized and not sacrificed to. So what he did was he took them to the place of the Areopagus, where Paul is now preaching, and he said set, he sets out a flock of hungry sheep and whenever sheep lay down they made sacrifice there and the plague left Athens. You see hungry sheep don't sit down, they graze until they're full. So whenever the sheep lay down they thought this is a holy place and so they made sacrifices to the God who was unknown to them and then they built this statue that Paul references. And so Paul links their history, their culture to the true God through one of their own legends and heroes. The quote that Paul uses in whom we live and move and have our being, it actually comes from a poem that Epimenides wrote about Zeus. And Paul explains to them it's not Zeus that Epimenides was writing about. He was being directed by God's Spirit to speak about the one true God. And he says, so this life that Epimenides spoke about, it comes not from Zeus but from the God and Father of Jesus the Christ. He's the one who brought man to life in the first place, Athenians included. The origins of the Athenians are not in the soil of their homeland. Their origins and roots are in Yahweh. And he's saying, God, Yahweh is the source of every life that has or will ever inhabit the earth. His breath is in them. He decided where and when each of them would be born. And so there's no mistake about our births or the timing of our births. It's no mistake that I'm Scottish and everyone else wishes they were. (laughs) And it's no mistake that you're the nationality or ethnic origin that you are. When Paul writes in Psalm 139 verse 16, Your eyes saw my untrawn body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knew you. God knew you before you knew him. And Jeremiah starts his, his prophecy with the same revelation of this truth. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God knit Jeremiah in his mother's womb and determined who he would be. He determined where on earth he would be. Even the abilities that Jeremiah possessed were God-given. And in this way, he knew Jeremiah because he was conceived in God's own heart. Who he would be was a conception of God. And in the same way he conceived you and determined the era of history you would live through and abilities you would possess. Whatever you have, don't belittle it. Don't compare it to other people because what God gave you, he put in you to bless the world with it. And you may not be a Jeremiah who's going to prophesy to the nations, but you're in a position to do things and touch people where you are with whatever you've been given. Don't despise what you've been given. Anyway, let's go back to Athens. Now after all of that, Paul's not finished. He makes an astounding statement as he quotes another of the Greek poets, um, who also writes about Zeus in a poem called Phenomena. It's the only one of his poems to survive. And his name was Aratus. He lived about 300 years before Jesus. He was from Cilicia, which is in southern Turkey. In fact, his, his tomb was found in Mizzetli, uh last year, in 2019. Some people think he was actually from Tarsus. That's interesting, isn't it? Because that's where Paul comes from. Paul says in Acts chapter 23, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. So he would have been familiar with Aratus. Both of the poets that Paul quotes have personal connections to Athens as well, to the very place he's preaching. And Aratus studied in Athens and probably um, dialogued at the Areopagus And Epimenides was the saviour in the very place where they stood now. This is what Aratus wrote about Zeus. From Zeus let us begin. Him do we mortals never leave unnamed. Full of Zeus are all the streets and all the marketplaces of men. Full is the sea and the havens thereof. Always we all have need of Zeus, for we are all his offspring. And he in his kindness unto men gives favourable signs. He tells what time the soil is best for labour, and what time the seasons are favourable for planting. For himself it was to set the signs in heaven and marked out the constellations. And for the year devised what stars chiefly should give to men right signs of the seasons to the end that all things might grow unfailingly, wherefore ever him do men ever worship first and last. Hail, O Father, mighty marvel, mighty blessing unto men. And there are actually a number of very biblical sounding scenes in this poem about planting, harvesting signs and seasons and stars in their place. And Paul takes these scenes that are familiar to his listeners and turns it all on its head by declaring these things to be true, but not of Zeus. Again, he says, this points to the one true God. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then he says, we are his offspring. And Paul takes these words of of what we call pagan poets, writing about a pagan god, Zeus, and he takes them and says, these are Yahweh's truths. Church, we do not have a monopoly on truth. All truth is God's truth, regardless of what mouth it comes out of. I mean, for goodness sake, God spoke the truth through a donkey, didn't he? to Balaam. He can speak through anybody else. I remember I was witnessing to someone in some street evangelism, a Buddhist guy, and we were having a great conversation, and he spoke. I can't even remember what he said now. It was 30 years ago. But as he spoke, I heard the Holy Spirit speaking, and it freaked me out because how can the Holy Spirit speak to me through a Buddhist? But he did. It's his truth. He chooses his vehicle. And Paul is speaking to learned Greeks, people who spend their days discussing philosophies and ideas. As far as we know, there are no believers among them. And yet Paul says to them, we are all his offspring. He includes them. Again, having previously included them with him in all of humanity, he now includes them with him as the offspring of Yahweh. And I struggled with that because I was taught that God had nothing to do with me until I was saved, born again, became a Christian, whatever It wasn't until I I became his child through adoption that I could see myself as as God having anything to do with me. And yet Paul tells these pagans, not born again, not worshipping Jesus, not even aware of the Jewish scriptures. He's telling them they are also Yahweh's offspring. That their lives exist as a result of decisions made by God Almighty and not by Zeus. And that's the truth. The truth is that all human beings belong to God. We are all his offspring. He knit us all in our mother's wombs, not just those of us who have come to know Jesus. Not just religious people, but all people were knitted by God in mother's womb. They were planned from before the foundation of the earth to receive an inheritance from him. Now don't get me wrong, don't mistake what I'm saying. I still believe that no one can receive the benefits of being a child of God without knowing Jesus. Trevor spoke the last time about redemption being the key and he spoke from Galatians. I want to read a little bit from Galatians chapter 4. In verse 3 and 4 and 5, Paul says, When we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so we were children, but we were not living in the benefits of our sonship. Instead, we were no different from the slaves and servants being under their tutelage and guardianship. We were under the tutelage and guardianship of this world system, but we had to be redeemed in order to receive the full rights in order to step into inheritance and it's only in receiving that redemption and coming to know Jesus that it's possible to receive the full rights of our sonship and We often think of redemption as paying someone to release a possession or or paying a price to free a hostage, but that's not really the roots of redemption. redemption just means to rescue back something that is yours from a dangerous position and a hopeless future to place them into a position of safety, security and a good future. That's exactly what Father did. He rescued us back from a dangerous position and placed us into a position of good future and good fortune. He didn't pay anyone else a price, but he still paid a cost. To rescue us from the corruption of death, he had to experience and overcome death himself. In order for him to redeem us, he paid the cost of laying aside his divinity and all the privileges associated with it. And he came to earth to become one of us and die so that he might defeat death. Not so that we might be punished or escape punishment. Punishment was never in the mind of God. God was not punishing Jesus when he redeemed us. He was defeating death and sin. And for us to be redeemed, for us to be brought back, to where we belong, and a hopeful future, it means that before, while we were still lost, we belonged to God. Even before salvation, you were his. Think of it. When people are not following God, we we call them what? We say they're lost, don't we? And we see the stories in Luke 15. One sheep wanders off from the flock and the man leaves 99 and goes after that lost one. Because while it was lost, It still belonged to the shepherd and it still belonged to the flock. When the coin was lost in its lost place, it still belonged to the woman and it still belonged to the place on her wedding headdress. And when the son wandered off and was lost and was out of communication with his father, he was still his father's son and he still belonged in his father's house. And it was the same for you and me. When we were lost, we still were God's offspring, we still belonged. In his kingdom. We just were not experiencing it. You know from Adam's first conscious moment. He only ever knew love. being poured into his being. He opened his eyes. He looked into the eyes of unadulterated love. Because that's what God is. We have all, we have two certain statements in the New Testament. About what or who God is. God is spirit. And God is love. We were designed so that our natural birth. Would bring us into that experience. Of knowing God being a father to us. Back in time he determined your your era of history, your place of birth, to come into that experience. His purpose was that every child, every descendant of Adam and his wife would grow up in the experience of love. But Adam and his wife abandoned the covering and guidance of love. So God designed a second birth by which this human race could be brought into the experience of being fathered by our true father. So he redeemed us. He brought us back to where we truly belong. He came to redeem us in order to restore to us all that the man and his wife lost. In fact, Christ, in Christ, we have become part of the very life of God himself. We haven't become little gods, but we partake of the divine life. Listen to what Peter says. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You may participate in the divine nature. That's a mystery that I, I don't fully understand. But God's love, the love of a father, is the foundation of all things for the Christian life. Living in the love of God our Father is really what Christianity is all about. You know, some, some of us believe we were accidents or mistakes in our whole lives or lived as though we're an inconvenience to other people. We go through life thinking that I'm ugly, I'm flawed, I'm not good enough, I'm not acceptable enough, I'm I'm ashamed of who I am, I'm ashamed for people to see who I am. And we separate ourselves from people, we hide our hearts and, and our true feelings from people. I was conceived outside of marriage, and my whole life was spent thinking that everything bad was my fault. Just because I'd been born. My dad was sick just after I was born. He died when I was 11 years old. We, we lived in poverty. I thought it was all my fault my fault, because I was born. This was God's punishment for the sin of me being born. I really thought that I was wrong, that somehow being me and being here was, was not a good thing. And I hated being John MacDonald. But as Father has been loving me over the last 15 years, as, be, as he's been pouring his love into my, my heart, I've come to see that I'm okay after all. I like being John and I don't want to be anyone else anymore. All of life comes from the heart of God and the breath of God. His heart is full of beauty. What, what God made when he made you and me is beautiful. God cannot make, make ugly. He conceived every single beautiful one of you before you ever entered your mother's womb. He designed you in his heart and in his mind and he waited for the exact right time of history to bring you into the world. Your birth was a momentous event that all of heaven had waited thousands of years for. And he celebrated your arrival. Listen to this. This is from the Message Version of the Bible in Psalm 22, verse 9 and 10. And this is the psalmist writing about God. You were my midwife at my birth, setting me at my mother's breasts. When I left the womb, you cradled me. Since the moment of birth, you have been my God. Wow. He celebrated your birth. He was present. He was engaged. We were expected, we were eagerly awaited by heaven and none of us is a mistake or an accident. This scripture has given me a totally new perspective of my birth, of my coming into the world, the fact that I was wanted, I was joyfully received and welcomed into the human race, as were you. I used to wrestle with the idea of being a joy to God because I had the concept of God as an angry judge, the one who will deal severely with me if I step out of line. Where did we get such an idea? You know, centuries ago, it was perceived that salvation was a legal transaction because of some of the biblical language. So over the centuries, a, a scenario was developed where salvation was presented as a, a courtroom um, scenario. Anselm, who was Bishop of Archbishop of Canterbury uh, in the 11th or 12th century, he brought this fully formed, but it had developed over a long, long time. And so we have Satan as the prosecutor, Jesus, our defence lawyer. And God, our Father, the judge who is unsmiling, serious, severe. And that's the idea we've developed of God. He's the serious, stern judge. You know, when you're in a courtroom, whether you're guilty, uh, whether you're accused, sorry, or you're a witness, the judge is not your friend. You don't make jokes and laugh with him. He has the power to punish you for lying, for crime, for messing around in his courtroom. And so we need Jesus on our side, protecting us from the stern judge who wants to punish us. He's just waiting to pass some awful sentence upon us and, and we're cringing all the time waiting for judgment. That's not God. He's not waiting to destroy me and you. He's not waiting to destroy the world. And he's not how popular art and theology have depicted him. He is not that judge. Father is not fierce and vengeful. He's not a being full of anger and resentment towards the world. He's not been held back by lovely Jesus to protect us. God so loved the world, he sent his Son. He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's Father, and his love is a perfect Father's love for you and for me. He's the real and true Father of us all. We really are his offspring, as the Bible tells us. And he's redeeming us, he's redeeming you, he's redeeming me, that... To bring us back into the knowledge and experience of walking him with him as a true father. The way Adam walked with him in the garden. The way Jesus walked with him in Israel. His desire is that you would have a, a totally new perspective of your life. You would have a totally new perspective of who he is. That you would understand that the life that is in you, the life you carry, all that you are was designed and ordained by your heavenly father. You're not an accident. You're not an evolutionary mistake or happenstance. And yes, man and woman fell in the garden. They abandoned love in the direction the direction and guidance of love. They abandoned love's covering. And that all got in the way of the human race, knowing God's love. But his plan has always been for you and me to be his sons and daughters through Christ. That was always the plan. And although that fall of Adam and his wife kind of messed things up a little bit, it didn't change his plan. He'd always planned for you for me to become heirs in the kingdom. For all of his offspring he planned that. You see, living in love is what being a Christian is. Living in love is what God always planned for you and me. We are his true children and he is our true father. That's the end of another Abba podcast. I hope you join us again. We have some great and exciting interviews coming up. I have Phil Drysdale and Barry Adams who wrote the Father's Love Letter coming up over the next couple of months so keep tuning in to the ABBA podcast and I'll see you again, bye bye